O God, the King of glory, You have exalted Your only Son, Jesus Christ, with great triumph to Your kingdom in heaven. Do not leave us comfortless, but send us with Your Holy Spirit to strengthen us and exalt us to that place where our Savior has gone before, who lives and reigns with You and the Holy Spirit, one God in glory everlasting. Amen. God's grace and peace be with you. Our scripture reading this evening will come from Hebrews 8 and 9, selected readings from those two chapters. I invite you, if you are willing and able, to stand for the reading of God's holy word, and we will use what is printed in the worship order. I invite you at this time to stand and listen to God's holy word from Hebrews 8 and 9. The Word of God reads, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant He mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For He finds fault with them when He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest." For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now when Christ appeared, he entered once for all into the holy places by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant." For Christ has entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. It was not to offer himself repeatedly, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, Christ has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And that is the word of the Lord. 
May God add his blessings to the reading, the preaching and the hearing of his word. And all the church says, you may be seated. This evening, we come to the end of our series on the covenant of grace As you know, the covenant of grace tells the story of God's promise to redeem the world in Christ. Throughout the series, we have seen how God from the beginning of the world till now established the covenant of grace, reminding his people at different times and in different places of his covenant of grace. The covenant he made with Adam was a promise to rescue the world in Christ. And the, the covenant God made with Noah was a promise to remake the world in Christ. The covenant God made with Abraham was a promise to reward the world in Christ. The covenant God made with Moses was a promise to reconcile the world in Christ. And the promise God, the covenant God made with David was a promise to rule the world in Christ. All of those covenants are a part of the covenant of grace that finds its fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so week after week, we have seen that God established this eternal covenant of grace by a gracious oath sworn by God, secured by the blood of the Son of God, and then sealed by the Holy Spirit for the salvation of God's people in space-time history. And so God is bringing heaven and earth together in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And tonight we see the fulfillment of these covenants in what the scriptures call the new covenant. In the new covenant, Christ comes to the front and center of the stage in the drama of this redemptive history. I hope that you're able in your own heart and mind to reflect back on things that we've seen and heard this year concerning God's redemptive purposes in Christ and the atoning work of Christ. For all of that is the red cord, the blood line that runs through all of these covenants. Tonight we see the Hebrew writer speaking to the Hebrew Christians and reminding them that the covenant of grace that God made with their forefathers is fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In the very first passage we read in Hebrews 8, 6 to 13, we are introduced to Christ and his ministry. Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the ministry of the old, than the ministry of the old covenant. Christ is the mediator of this covenant. That's his ministry to be the mediator of this covenant. And this covenant is established and enacted on better promises than all of the promises we've seen before. All of those promises pointed to Christ and they were shadows and types of Christ. But now we see the substance and the reality of what God had in mind with the covenant of grace he established with Adam and Noah, Abraham, Moses and David. And now finally reaching its climax in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at three things this evening. We're going to look at the fact that in this new covenant, we see the true and better promises of Christ. 
And then we will see that in this new covenant, we have a true and better mediator, a go-between, someone who stands in the gap on behalf of sinners to God and on behalf of God towards sinners. And then we will end by looking at the true and better hope that we have in this new covenant. Hebrews 8 tells us that Christ has obtained this ministry. And it's a better ministry and acted on better promises. And we have a better mediator than the ones that came before. And the Hebrew writer is very careful to point out that there was nothing wrong with the previous covenants that God made. The covenants were right and good in and of themselves. But the fault was found with the people of God. Not with the covenants. So Jeremiah the prophet points this out when he first reveals the coming new covenant to the people of God and points out the fault of the people. They did not continue in my covenant. As you heard in the Old Testament reading, they broke faith with God. They committed spiritual adultery against their husband. Jeremiah points out throughout his his book That there was a spirit of unfaithfulness in the people of God. They were not loyal to God, nor were they loyal to each other. And as a a result of that unfaithfulness, the fault is found with the people, not with God and his covenants, but with the people and their unwillingness and their inability to abide in the covenants. And so Jeremiah rails and cries against the people of God because of their Adultery against their husband because they've broken faith with God. And so God found fault with them. But for the sake of the covenant that he had made and for the sake of his own righteousness, notice that instead of God obliterating the people and annihilating them and wiping them out forever, God says, I found fault with you, but I'm going to establish a new covenant with you. One that is enacted on better promises, one that has a better mediator. This covenant is going to be an eternal covenant that will never become obsolete. It will never go out of style. It'll never be undone. The first thing I want you to see, as mentioned here, is that in Christ we have the true and better promises of the new covenant. The true and better promises of the new covenant. Most of us who've been in churches for any length of time, have had the opportunity to sing Standing on the Promises, an old hymn, a favorite hymn of many people. And I've wondered as I've sung that song in my life and as I've been in congregations where we've all tried to lift that song up to the Lord, how many of us have ever taken the time to reflect on the promises of God? What if we sang the hymn and then pulled someone aside and said, what promises are you standing on exactly? Well, to understand what the promises are, you just come to Hebrews 8 and you will learn many of them. And we'll look at them in just a moment. But what I want you to see is that the promises of the new covenant mentioned here are mediated to us through Jesus Christ. The Westminster Confession of Faith says that it pleased God in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten son, to be the mediator between God and man, the prophet, the priest and the king, which office he took unto himself 
He did not take unto himself, but was thereunto called by his father, who put all power and judgment into his hand and gave him commandment to execute the same. The promises that we're about to look at are promises that are mediated to us through Jesus Christ, the prophet, the priest and the king. And let me show you how that looks in the new covenant. Number one, Jesus initiated and established the new covenant with his people as the one true king. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I will be their God. They shall be my people, declares the Lord. We saw last week that God made a promise to build a house for the seed of David. And here we see God keeping his promise in Jesus Christ, the son of David, who makes covenant with the house of Israel. And by the house of Israel and by the house of Judah, the Holy Spirit does not mean that the covenant is made with the Jews only. The house of Israel and the house of Judah includes both Jews and Gentiles. It includes all people who wrestle with God by faith, who walk in the footsteps of our father Abraham, who worship God by faith and who wait upon the Lord by faith. All of those people who walk by faith are included in the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In other words, they are included and numbered among God's covenant people, people chosen by grace from before the foundation of the world. The covenant that's made here also is not a covenant for individuals only. In other words, there is no room in the new covenant for people to say it's just me and Jesus It's me and Jesus and my Bible. No, in the covenant of grace, God intends for his people to be in fellowship with him and with each other. They are in community together. Now, there are individuals who are part of that community, but no one has the right to say, well, I'm in covenant with God all by myself. God has always established his covenant with Someone and their household with a people and other people. And so this is no different. God says, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. It's a community of people, the covenant community of people coming into relationship with God, the king in Christ. Number two, Jesus Christ initiated and established the new covenant with his people as the one true prophet. The covenant says, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. You go all the way back to the Old Testament, and you'll see God making a promise to Moses and to Israel, saying that God will raise up a prophet like Moses from among the people, And now we see God keeping that promise in Jesus Christ. The reason the word of God is going to be written on our hearts and minds, the reason it's going to be in us 
is not because God is etching and engraving it on tablets of stone as he did in the past, but he is etching and engraving his law and gospel deep down in our hearts, not with chisel and hammer, not with pen and ink, but with the finger of the Holy Spirit. And so Christ comes to us as a prophet proclaiming the word of God to us. And the Spirit of Christ takes the words of Christ and writes them on our hearts. And notice here, the promise is that they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. There are some Christian traditions who will say least to greatest means uh, least would be like the poor, the marginalized, the weakest. And then the greatest would be the most glorious among us. And they like to use that language because they are afraid of what it really means when they look at the Old Testament. And the Old Testament reminds us that least to greatest means, no, infant children all the way up to elderly adults. That's the least of the greatest. They will all know me. God is the one who will ensure this, and He does it through the person and work of Jesus Christ. They will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Now, I hasten to say this because I know how we like to get uh, very specific about doctrine and, and things like that. But I want to point out to you something very important here is that God does not say in the new covenant that when people come into the covenant, they're going to have more Bible knowledge than everyone else. Or they're going to have a better systematic theology than everyone else. Or they're going to have a better grasp of the covenant of grace than everyone else. All of that might be included, but the promise is actually better than all of that. As God says, they will know me. And there is a real difference between knowing trivia about the Bible, between knowing facts and information about all kinds of things and knowing God and knowing God. And so the promise of the new covenant here is that your children, as small as they are, will know the Lord. And the rest of you, as old as you are, will know the Lord. That's his covenant promise. How will you know him? Well, one way you know is he will make sure that his spirit writes his word on your heart and on your mind. He will put it in you. But that's not the only way. The other way you will know him is that he will forgive your sins. Sin separates us from God. It causes a blindness in us. And God will take that away. And then we will know him. So this is a covenant promise that we will know the Lord. And so I don't have to stand here and say to you, you need to know the Lord. You need to know the Lord. We can encourage each other in that way. But the promise of God is that the Spirit of Christ will ensure that we come to know Him. Number three, Jesus Christ initiated and established the new covenant with His people as the one true priest. He says, I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. God has promised in the Old Testament to raise up a priest, not like Aaron, but a priest like Melchizedek from among the people. And he's keeping his promise in Jesus Christ. And throughout the book of Hebrews, this notion of Jesus as the high priest comes up again and again. And so I just remind you of a few things mentioned in the book that Jesus is the one who stands before God on behalf of sinful man. 
That he bridges the gap between between God and man. He bridges the gap between the holy and the profane. He is the one who seals our pardon with his own blood. He is able to help us when we are suffering temptations. Because he himself was tempted as we are yet without sin. He is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses because he himself was tempted. He's able to to deal gently with us, with the ignorant and the wayward, because he himself was beset with weaknesses. And so in Christ, God shows us his mercy and he scrubs his own memory of our sins because of the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ and because of the faithful service of Christ, our priest before God. So these are the promises of the new covenant. The new covenant will never be made null and void. It will always be in effect. And God says, I will remember their sins no more. And it's that line no more that you need to remember. You have a tendency to remember things that God has long forgotten. You keep record of sins against each other that God doesn't know about anymore because they're gone. We have files in our hearts and minds of things that we've done or that other people have done. And those files only exist in our hearts and minds because God's promise is that he will forgive and forget. And he does it for the sake of his son, Jesus Christ. So I would encourage you, go back when you have time and just reflect on the promises that God outlines for you in the new covenant. Look at all the things that God says he will do to you. And notice he doesn't require you to do things back to him. It's not a two-way covenant. It's one way. God makes the covenant to you. It's a covenant of grace, not a covenant of grace plus works. It's a covenant of grace. And to make sure that all of this becomes reality, not only is this covenant enacted on better promises, but it is enforced by a true and better mediator, Jesus Christ. So in Hebrews 9, 11 to 15, we find out that when Christ appeared, he did what no other prophet, priest or king was ever able to do. He entered the most holy places by means of his own blood. No one else was ever able to do that. He entered the holy places by means of his own blood. And in doing so, he secured eternal redemption for his people. Now, this is not like a perennial redemption like you would see in the Day of Atonement. Remember when we looked at that one day every year on the Day of Atonement, God would roll back the sins of the people, give them a clean slate until the next year. And then there would be another Day of Atonement and so forth and so on. But that's not what's going on here. What Jesus Christ has accomplished for his people is an eternal redemption. It's an eternal redemption as in a once For all redemption performed at the cross. That's what Christ has done. He did something else that no prophet, priest or king was ever able to do. He offered himself without blemish. That is without sin, without stain, without any shadiness. And he did this to God through the eternal spirit. 
But the writer tells us that he was not just thinking of himself when he did all of this. He was thinking of us. Because after he offered himself without blemish to God through the Spirit, he then turns and purifies our conscience from dead works of sin so that we might serve the living God. In other words, what's going on here is that Christ has done something in and of himself and then he turns and grants us the benefits of his work so that we might offer ourselves to God without blemish by the Spirit. How in the world could you ever offer yourself to God without blemish? How could you ever draw near to God with a purified conscience from all the dead works that haunt you? You can only do so through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so these dead works that haunt us and keep us up at night and rack us with shame and guilt have actually been purified and removed and are being purified and removed by the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is the Holy Spirit that is working in us and for us to make sure that we are clean from the inside out. The dead works that are mentioned here are not works that we just imagine, but they are actual transgressions and sins and iniquities that we committed by breaking God's law. These are the dead works that are being cleansed and purged from us. And because of what Christ has done, He is declared to be the mediator of a new covenant. Why and to what purpose, we might ask? And the answer is... So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. How and on what basis, we might ask. And the answer is, on the basis of one death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So what is the purpose and the end of the work of Christ? It is so that you who are called... By grace, you who are called by the preaching of the gospel, you who are called by the Holy Spirit, may receive the promised eternal inheritance. This is not a carrot dangling before your nose. This is not smoke and mirrors. This is not a trick just to keep you motivated long enough to watch you stumble and fall again. Christ has done these things on your behalf so that you may reap the benefits of His work in your life. And how does He do this? He does it by dying one time for all time in the place of sinners. And that leads us to the third and final thing I want you to reflect on this evening, and that is that in Christ, we have the true and better hope of the new covenant. The true and better hope of the new covenant. Hebrews 9, 24 to 28, beautiful passage talking about Christ entering into the holy places, not, not the temple in Jerusalem, not just going behind a curtain that's been ripped in two, but better than that, truer than that. He has gone into heaven itself. And he appears before the presence of God on our behalf. And he's not there to offer himself repeatedly as if he has to suffer and die again and again, as the writer says, that would be ridiculous and absurd. He would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. No, as it is, Christ has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 
He's appeared once for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Some of you might be familiar with this. Some of you might have had experience in a Roman Catholic church, or maybe you know someone who has, but there is some confusion over what happens in the Roman Catholic church when they gather for worship and they have their, uh, their missal services, the mass. They often give the impression in the mass that Christ is being crucified repeatedly, crucified again and again, as often as the mass is held. The language of the mass kind of gives that impression. They push back against that. If you say, why are you crucifying Christ again? They say, well, we're not. What they try to explain is that in their view, Christ was crucified and remains crucified in the eternal present. They call that the mystery of the mass. There are all kinds of biblical, theological, and philosophical problems with that view. Suffice it to say for now that the Hebrew writer pushes against that, and we echo that push when he says that Jesus Christ was crucified one time for all time. And he is not being presently crucified. He was crucified, died, and buried, and he was raised up from the dead and ascended into heaven. He is presently seated at the right hand of God, waiting for his enemies to be made a footstool for his feet. The writer goes on to argue that just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of the many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. I know that for some of you, the notion. That you will appear before the judgment seat of Christ terrifies you to no end. In your imagination, when you appear before the judgment seat of Christ, it will be an occasion for Christ to deal with your sins one more time. That's a very common view among Christian people. We know that Christ dealt with our sins at the cross, and yet somewhere in our hearts and minds, we think when Christ comes, He's going to dig up all of our sins and deal with them once again, and then make a final verdict about what He will do with us. But did you just hear what the Scriptures say? This is the Word of Christ's Spirit speaking to us. That when Christ appears the second time, it will not be to deal with sin. He's not coming again to deal with our sin. He's dealt with our sin. He's not coming again to remind us of all the ways we've screwed up and failed Him and broken His law. He's not coming to do that. He's not coming to deal with our sin because He has dealt with our sin definitively. At the cross. At his first advent, he dealt with our sin. At the second advent, he will not deal with our sin. What will he do? He will deliver us safely 
into the presence of God. The writer says that we who have fled to God for refuge in Christ here and now have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us in the then and there. So rest assured that Christ has already dealt with your sins. He's dealt with all of your sins. Even that one. Yeah. No, even that one that you're just now digging up. He's dealt with all of your sins. And so when He comes, He's not coming to deal with those sins anymore. He's coming to deliver you into the presence of God. To deliver into your hands the promised eternal inheritance. Not that you've worked for, merited, or earned, but the one that He worked for and merited and earned for you. This is a covenant of grace. And earlier in this book, the writer says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as the forerunner on our behalf. He's gone as a trailblazer and opened up this new and living way so that we can run freely into the presence of God, into the arms of the Father, and do so by the grace of the Holy Spirit. I hope that you've seen in this all too brief series that God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. And that God makes promises and He keeps promises in Jesus Christ. As the apostles remind us, all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. The new covenant tells us many things and tonight we have seen that it tells us that in Christ we have the true and better hope And that in Christ we have the true and better mediator. And that in Christ we have true and better promises. If you're having trouble sleeping at night because of the guilt and shame of your sin, perhaps tonight you'll rest in peace. Knowing that Christ has dealt with your sins in ways that you cannot. And that your sins are forgiven and forgotten under the blood of Jesus Christ. Let us pray together. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. Through Jesus Christ, To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.